VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, good morning. No Patty Daly this morning. It's Tim Powers here sitting in for Patty. I believe Patty will be back tomorrow, but happy to be with you today. I feel like I'm a 1980 soccer star. I'm sitting here, and I'm certainly not a 1980 soccer star, or Al Pacino in, in Scarface, but I can assure you I don't have mounds of cocaine around me. Why do I feel that way? I'm sitting here in a sweatsuit, because I've been on the go since 5 o'clock this morning. Now, it's not one of those classic Adidas sweatsuits. It's a more modern running sweatsuit, but ready to broadcast to the most satisfied people in the country, apparently, in this sweatsuit. So let's see if I do Al Pacino and the soccer stars of the 1980s well with the sweatsuit. So how is everybody? How was the long, well, long weekend? It wasn't, but it felt like a weekend that could have been long, and I'll tell you about that in a moment. But I just got to tell you this fun little anecdote from the weekend. I uh, had the good fortune this weekend to do something called the mud run. Well, you might say, Tim, Tim, you're always in the mud. You know, this politics, living in Ottawa, I mean, in this city, any day of the week, you could have a bouncy castle appear on Parliament Hill. They could shut down the parliamentary precincts. The power could get knocked out. You know, they say we had it bad at home, but my goodness, we've had quite a year here. So, And between all of that, it's always like I'm in the muck and in the mud. But no, this was by choice, by choice. I ran something called the Mud Run. And it's not like doing one of the East Coast trails, although there's a lot of mud on those wonderful trails. This was a contest my niece got me into with my son and another friend of ours. And I got to tell you, it was a blast. I'm still picking the mud out of my toes. And I'm reminded of what my mother used to tell me when I was a young fellow. And I'm sure lots of you heard this as well from your parents. Now, she would say, make sure you're toenails and fingernails are always clean and make sure you have clean underwear on in case you have to go to the hospital. Well, if I have to go to the hospital, they're going to think I'm a dirtbag because I'm still picking the mud out of my toe. So what you had to do, you had to run through this obstacle course type race if people have done them before, a bit like a Spartan race or um, a Tough Mudder. Anyway, one of the fun parts of the race, and yes, I'm calling it fun, was I got my leg stuck all the way down in quicksand. Now, I know what George Bush uh, Sr. felt like when he was fishing in Gander years ago and he got caught down this quicksand. I didn't have Secret Service to pull me out, but I pulled myself out, covered in mud, filthy as could be, cleaned off by a garden hose afterwards, but best point of the weekend because then, then, then I went really into the mud. I'm no Ryan Whitney, and uh, his name should be familiar to many of you now. He, of course, was the former NHL player, one of the hosts of the great podcast, Spitting Chicklets, caught in Pearson Airport last week. And uh, his video of his journeys was uh, viewed over two million times, hundreds of media requests. Anyway, I ended up having to go to Pearson after the mud run. Now, thankfully, I generally had gotten myself clean, but wouldn't have really mattered because... The amount of standing around you do, the complaining that people are doing, and I know I'm a, a, a mi white middle-aged male of privilege, but let me complain for a moment about the other complaining and validate that other complaining. It is cracked at Pearson Airport these days, and this is not a shot at the employees who work there. I think they're trying their best. 
I had to fly to Pearson Saturday night for a meeting with a group I'm working with on Sunday morning. I had three flight delays, all because of incoming traffic, air traffic issues at Pearson Airport. So eventually my 5 o'clock flight left at 8 o'clock after numerous delays, as I say. Get there. No, no cabs. I had to go to Mississauga. My meeting was in Mississauga. Most of you will know where Mississauga is. It's about, uh, well, the airport's actually in Mississauga. And it's a few kilometers west after that was my meeting. So I had to wait 45 minutes for a cab, get to the hotel, uh, and uh, by the time I get to the hotel, it's 9 o'clock. So I'd added three hours to my trip. Then went out, got something, it was 10 o'clock. It, it, that that was just me. It was annoying. Annoying as hell. And the lineups and the frustration and the chaos in the airport, uh, nothing like I've ever seen. I've been in, fortunate enough to be in some of the bigger airports in the world. Heathrow and Frankfurt and O'Hare and Chicago. Been the airport in Rio, Rio, during the Olympics. It was bad. Yesterday coming back, not as bad, but three delays. Uh, listening to all the other travelers there. Um, just, just stretch. Stretch to the bone. And... The impact hits us at home in Newfoundland and Labrador. We've got this big come-home year happening, and that's a great thing. And there are generally three points to get into Newfoundland and Labrador from anywhere else in the world. Halifax, uh, Toronto, and Montreal. And if you're coming internationally right now, with certain exceptions, you're going to Toronto and Montreal. My goodness, it is so discouraging to travel. And I don't want to discourage travel. But unless they improve the way things are happening, it is going to be a tourism torture because people are going to be strung out at the front end before they even get on their trip. And they're hearing stories like this, and and it might not even buy their tickets to go on the trip. And I don't know what really is at play. I mean, there was the transport minister, as you know, last week said, oh, we're hiring 850 new screeners. Well, that's great. They're not all going to be ready to go on job right now because let's hope they're trained. I have to tell you, when I was uh, was uh, there yesterday, and it was fast yesterday, uh, there must have been 40 of them being screened and or trained, and that was great. But how long is that going to take, and how is all of that going to work then? Of course, the the stressed-out travel agents, I wouldn't want to be a travel agent right now. All you take is crap, crap, and more crap because nobody rightly is satisfied. We're all strung out and tired. I don't know how this problem gets fixed, but people are returning to normal. Air travel needs to get back to normal, and it's so vital to our province. I could go on for hours. I won't. I'll spare you all of that. But good luck to any of you hopping on a plane heading west to Toronto. May God be with you. Build in 24 hours. Lots of patience because you could be stuck there for a while. Now, closer to home, how about the uh, story last week um, of uh, Jim Keating, who I know, went to school with Jim. He's the president of Oil Co. here uh, in Newfoundland and Labrador, speaking at the Energy Newfoundland and Labrador conference, saying that there could be in his words, three to four Beta Nord-like projects off our coasts. Coast. Um, that's pretty amazing. Jim, very confident that these things could come on stream. Now, of course, as you know, that flies against the grain of what we've heard so far from Environment Minister Stephen Gibault, who did approve Beta Nord. 
uh, but was very cautious in saying, you know what, um, there may not be any other beta nords. I love the optimism in our offshore. I think we should be able to have more offshore development, and we can manage that within the parameters of of change and getting to our net zero targets. Jim argues that, but I'm not sure it's going to be as easy to get three to four beta nords um, developed. One of these beta nords or beta nord-like projects bigger than beta nord, according to Jim, is Blue Jacket. Uh, it looks to have enormous potential. I think it's well established. There's going to be a need for oil and gas in this world going forward. Uh, and transition is going to take time. So why shouldn't we be part of that? Our premiers argued that. Jim's argued that. Charlene Johnson's argued that. Doc O'Keefe's argued that. We have others um, who I respect, like Dr. Angela Carter and many, who say we need to bring a hard stop to all of this now. What are you thinking? What are you thinking after you heard Jim's comments last week? Are you for this, against this? How do we manage all of this? Love, uh, love to hear that. And maybe that's what makes Newfoundland the best place to be in the world. Uh, for satisfaction, apparently. How about that? I love that story in the National Post. The National Post, which isn't always nice to Newfoundland and Labrador, had to run a story from StatsCan saying, we're pretty satisfied. Well, but I guess it didn't listen to Open Line all the time because... Rightly so, we hear from people who are not satisfied and have some frustration with the way things are happening in the province, and so they should. But I tell you, I love that story. I love that it was promoted to the degree that it was. I wonder how much of it has been influenced by post-pandemic life. Of course, look, we're all Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. We love our province. We always will love our province. We've loved it through snowmageddon. We've loved it through all of the storms, the tragedies, and the triumphs that we've had. And that comes through in that story. But will it change? Will that story help change um, what we do and our ability to attract people to the province? I, I hope it does. And if you have a take on that, if you have a different perspective, I love sticking it to BC, by the way. They always say, oh, come to Vancouver, come to the coast, man. It's cool. It's great. And it is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. My father's originally from British Columbia, late father, originally from British Columbia. But... Um, Still can't beat Newfoundland and Labrador. Glad to see it got so much play this particular weekend. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Speaking of play, Peggy Gibbons going to play Jeopardy. Can she beat Mateo Roach? Newfoundland versus Nova Scotia here. Of course, Peggy, for, formerly from the Pearl, Mount Pearl. She'll be on Jeopardy this week. Um, she's already played it. Obviously, she can't speak to how she did or didn't do. Uh, that's pretty cool. She's now in Toronto. Um, she's going to give it a go. I know we'll be watching and we'll keep you updated on all of that. I saw a cute little story where Peggy said her original goal when she was younger was reach for the top. Well, she's hit the top now. Jeopardy, powerhouse of a show. So good for you, Peggy. We'll be watching you. We'll be watching the push-up man. I love that guy. Talked to him last year, Bill Guinea. He's starting his push-up challenge. He's been uh, uh, more moderate in his approach this year, and that's not a criticism. If you've ever tried to do uh, push-ups after running and walking or do them every hour, it's no easy task, even with this fine 1980 sweatsuit I have on and shattered shoulders from rugby. Uh, let me tell you, push-ups aren't easy, but Bill's doing that for mental health. Great story on our uh, website, the VOCM website, if you want to look at that. Speaking of uh, of pushing up, the price of food, food has gone up along with gasoline. I want to talk about this this morning. What's inflation doing to you? I have seen 
reams of stories about how inflation it, the, and the story has moved from the impact on the cost of gas and the cost of transport, which is big in our province because, hey, guess what? As good as Metro Bus is, we don't have a lot of public transportation. Try getting a bus uh, on the Trans-Canada uh, in and around your local community. Yes, we have cross-provincial busing, uh, but we don't have, uh, obviously, a lot of municipal busing for a whole variety of reasons, including it's impractical because the population base doesn't live there. That's gas. But what about food? Um, I saw a couple of stories this weekend about how food banks are um, having their workload increase, how people are eating more poorly. It's tough out there. What do you want to see done from the inflation perspective? The provincial government's done some things. They've been met with some criticism, some positive critique. Federal government not really done anything. What do you want to see happen with inflation? What kind of support and assistance do you want. Let's talk about that today. And if you're in the business, if you're helping people, uh, if you're trying to run a business this year and you want to give us a call about what's happening with inflation, by all means, please do that. What else do we have? Well, Patty, I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about this tomorrow and Wednesday, but geez, I'm pretty damn excited about the Stanley Cup Finals. Not just because Alex Newhook is playing, and it's great to see another Newfoundlander in the Cup, particularly this one. I know know his family. They're, they're good people. They support their son and their daughter, Abby, who's also an excellent athlete with great aplomb. They've done lots the parents paula and sean for sports in this province uh and alex is so very presentable and a great spokesperson for the province whenever he's on he works his guts out on the ice but boy not going to be easy for the avalanche against tampa that team just doesn't quit did you watch that game on saturday night when i finally got through the pearson hell i got there and what a game they are a team that is on a mission to win a third cup. And their goalie, arguably, is better than the Avalanche goalie. But the Avalanche plays some pretty good defense. What do you think about that? Can Alex Newhook add his name to the list, the very short list, of Newfoundlanders who've won Stanley Cups? Michael Ryder and Daniel Cleary, of course, already on that list. Will Alex Newhook be next? Are you going to be watching that? I sure as hell am. Now, before we go to break want to congratulate my colleague. She's been cleaning it up lately. Linda Swain, who won another award this weekend uh, from the RTDNA, which is a huge radio and television uh, awards network and group for a program she did on On Target. If you don't ever get a chance to listen to On Target, do. It's a great show. Linda brings on great guests. She produces really high-quality content and it's great to see her recognized and uh, and the work that she does. On Target is, a, is another gem in the VOCM Stingray Network worth listening to. All right. Time now in a moment for a break. Just a reminder, you want to get me, you can get me on Twitter, at Powers Tim, or on open line email, openline at vocm.com. And when we come back, we'll take your calls. Back with you shortly here on Open Line. Weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM Morning Show. This is Open Line on VOCM. 
Welcome back, everybody. Again, Tim Powers in for Patty Daly this morning. Lots to discuss. And one of the things I want to discuss, and you heard it a moment in my preamble. I don't know why you call it that. It's more like a quasi-rant. Anyway, preamble, quasi-rant, serious issue, and that is food inflation. And I was looking at a story this morning, uh, got my attention, where Jody Williams from Bridges to Hope was quoted about some of the challenges they're having uh, as it relates to uh, food inflation and providing service to the people they help. So we got Jody on the phone this morning. Jody, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm okay, uh, but I keep hearing this story everywhere. I certainly see the prices in grocery stores here in Ontario. I hear about them from home. First of all, tell us a little bit about what Bridges to Hope does so people understand that, and then why food inflation is a real concern for you. Uh, yeah, so uh, Bridges to Hope, uh, we're basically the busiest food aid center in the metro region, St. John's. Um, now we do have clients that kind of come from... Mount Pearl or even farther away, um, pending. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just getting out of control, really. In my, in my opinion, it's, uh, I was out shopping personally myself yesterday to get groceries, and it's, it's, uh, it's unbelievable, really. And so have your services increased because people themselves are just not able to uh, afford the sort of foods that they need? Is that happening for clearly, Jody? It's really definitely happening. Um, for instance, I'll give you one example. Um, before, say like a year ago, or you know, before this kind of started happening, uh, it would take us maybe like two months to kind of get, say, four to six new people never been to a food bank before. Sometimes now we can uh, get that in one day. Jeez. Uh, there's times like a, a busy day before would probably be like 40 people. Now some days we're hitting 100. Um, and a lot of the people coming here now are working, uh, so that demographic is certainly growing a lot. Um, you know, the people that are actually working, but they just can't make ends meet, right? Yeah, yeah, and you you hear about it in a lot of places. So explain the cycle a little bit so people understand it. So when you have more people coming to you, you got to buy more food, which costs you yeah, more money, so, and then you got to hit up more more sponsors. So how how is that cycle working? Is it I mean, it's costing you more money, but are you able to get donations or uh, investment from others to help help offset that cost? Uh, well, you know, it's always a scramble when you're in, you know, you're in a nonprofit world. I mean, we don't really, in some ways, I can, I, you know, I, have a, I can empathize more with the client more than mm -hmm. ever. Because I feel like uh, like that's position kind of worrying. We don't really know where our next dollar is coming from, or certainly, and we're always in a scramble. Um, but the way it works basically for us is, you know, like before the pandemic, 90% uh, of our food was donated. Um, and then when the pandemic came, and you know, people that do food drives are generally mm -hmm. community groups, offices, and stuff, and uh, all that came to a halt rather abruptly uh, back in 2020, and it never really, ever really. Uh, got back again. Um, people are still working from home. A lot of groups, uh, a lot are, you know, they're probably not even didn't make it through. But certainly, our food donations are down ninety percent. Which My means goodness! Wow. I am buying ninety percent more food than I did, uh, say, two years ago, 
which is a perfect storm, of course, because not only are we buying 90% of our food, we're also paying now about 40% more than we normally would pay for that food. And on top of that, and then because of that situation, again, um, you know, the worst case scenario for us is that makes us the demand for services go through the roof due to the rising price of food and the rising cost of gas. So it's a bit worrisome. I mean, it's unsustainable. I really don't know uh, how we're going to maintain it or keep it up. Uh, you know, we just keep kind of reaching out to the community and uh, asking for help. And, we'll, and we, we'll we'll do another plea in a minute. But, yeah, so if you're looking at it now, and I don't want to scare people, I don't want to, and I know you don't either, let's be responsible here. But, I mean, how, is there an answer you can give to how long you can go on at the pace you're going right now? Um. Well, I mean, that, it's just a complex thing to kind of yeah. answer that question, I guess, with too many variables. Um, but certainly, you know, I, I, I've i been doing a lot of research and I'm doing a lot of stuff because of my job. But, you know, and uh, it's only – they're expecting about 30 40% of nonprofits not even make it in the next couple of years due to a lack of preparedness and a lack of, uh, you know, money in the bank kind of thing. Because the demand on social services are just mm-hmm. increasing so dramatically, and not just on food banks, but anyone that you know offers any kind of social support. Um, and you know, we don't really have like we don't we're not we don't you know there's no government funding for us. There's no one big donor that sustains us, right? We get by by like everybody helping us, from individuals to corporations to churches. Is like we scramble to kind of get through. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me as the manager, I certainly losing sleep at night at this point. I mean, worrying about, you know, how long can this go on? I personally don't expect these food prices to go down uh, for at least a year. I mean, as long as uh, there's war happening and there's uh, the ripple effect of COVID, of course, um, you know, and I don't know. I, it's really yeah. concerning. I don't think there's any price gouging going on unnecessarily. Yeah. I mean, I worked uh, – there's a point – like right now, right, I was at yesterday, $17 for a chicken. Oh, my God. Wow. $17 for a chicken. And not only that, one thing I am noticing too is that all the packages are getting smaller. Yes, like yes. They're starting to shrink packages, to, to, and, and then also the price is going up. <laughs> um and it's like there's a point, you know, when no, like I noticed yesterday when I was out buying groceries, like nobody was buying meat. Everyone was just kind of. Oh, meat is so expensive, isn't it, Jody? Everywhere, and then that's everyone, a key protein for a lot of people, as yeah, as is fish. Yeah. And, like and everyone egg. was looking at it, you know, like everyone was going to the meat section, but like every single one of us were just nope, moved on because, like, you know. So, you know, I don't think a store would price something so outrageous that they don't sell any. (laughs) Yeah, they have to sell to make money, too. I mean, they do still have to sell product. I have two last questions for you. Um, Sure. uh, Government relief, uh, government policy. We've we've seen some relief from from the provincial government. We've not seen yet anything from the federal government. If, If governments are listening today, what would you like to see them do further? And I'm talking both provincial and federal here. Um, well, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, um, it all comes back to poverty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wouldn't say when CERB was out, it was our least busiest time we ever had at the food bank. Mm-hmm. So if you want to call that a basic income or certainly, uh, you know, it was certainly was proof that 
if people did have a certain income, the demand for our services will go down. Uh, but that would be more on a federal level, of course. Um, and then eventually, uh, I mean, I, I'm after uh, having meetings with government and stuff, um, and then I'm trying to get an answer out of them why they don't support uh, anyone or, you know, any, like us in the food game. And they don't really ever give me a straight answer. They just kind of beat around the bush and say that, you know, they give it to people on the front end. Basically, they're saying that they give out social support, uh, income support and disability. But when I go back to them and say, well, what about the 25% of our clients that work? You know, that's kind of when the conversation. And that's what it is, eh? 25% are, 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 are the so-called working, uh, oh, yeah, working poor. Right on there for sure, Absolutely. Uh, and they can't answer that question, right, because then it's like it's easy to say you give it to people on income support. And you, so, I mean, raise that minimum wage, get that up to a working rate, <laughs> uh, you know, locally. That's something we can definitely do. I know it's I know it's kind of it's in the works to get up there. But, again, right, you're, we're still – even when it hits the peak, we'll still be 2 or $3 below the poverty line. So it's not really going to help that much. Well, this is a this is a place that tries to help people. VLCM's always been very good for trying Absolutely. to help. So you've got a you got an audience today. What do you want to say to them about how they can help Bridges for Hope or any other group that's uh, yeah. providing food well, aid? Uh, right now, um, coincidentally, uh, in June, our platform that we get our donations from Canada Helps. Um, they have a great Canadian giving challenge happening. So if you want to go to our website, www.bridgestohope.ca. Any dollar donated right now gives us a chance to win $20,000, and we could certainly use that $20,000, and we can certainly put it to good use. I appreciate it. Well, I'll do what I've done for others, and I'm happy to do. I'm going to go and uh, encourage others to donate within your means if you can this morning uh, to help Thanks, out buddy. Bridges for Hope. People, people yeah, need it. I want to say that, like, no donation is too small. I don't want people yep. thinking, like, 10 bucks is not enough, 5 bucks is not enough. Any, any money, especially with this uh, – contest going on like i said every dollar gets us in to win twenty thousand. so any any amounts appreciate it yeah and i encourage people to do that that's a good point a dollar still buys you something uh exactly, and that's man uh, I, you know sometimes i think people think oh you know 10 bucks is not but you know listen 10 bucks is same as 50 to me i mean it's about the kindness and generosity i don't get caught up in the amounts well, I, I mean, look at the recent example in politics, right? If people can pay $15 to join the Conservative Party and 600,000 of them did and they got $9 bucks, well, if, hey, look, if people can pay whatever they can that's in their means wow. to do that. It's, uh, it's a fascinating study. Anyway, leave it there. Jody, thank you. Appreciate the work you're doing, and we'll keep an eye on this and see if we can help you. And uh, thanks much, man, for giving me, uh, like I said, any kind of awareness is a, is a huge help, so I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. That was uh, Jody Williams, manager at Bridges for Hope. And you heard Jody, if you can, if you can, if you have time and have the ability, go online today, uh, give them a donation. I'm going to do that in the break here. And we are going to take a break. And Eugene and Isabel, you will be next here on VOCM's Open Line. Join Brian Medor weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels. Newsmakers, weather and more. Join us on your VOCM at noon. This is Open Line on VOCM. Welcome back to Open Line. Tim in here for Patty this morning and one of our regulars who I always enjoy talking with, Eugene Nippert on the line. And a subject we're all familiar with, as bad as airports, roads, roads. What's going on with the roads in Fogo, Eugene? Good morning, Tim. Can you hear me okay? 
I, I can hear you. You're not getting paved over or anything out there, are you? <laughs> well, Tim, I tell you, now the roads are treacherous, and uh, and uh, your your thank you to you and 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 to to your producer for taking the call to my call today. And the producer was out here recently, and he knows exactly what I'm talking about. The road conditions is treacherous on Fogo Island. Now, I know we got bad road conditions around the province, but I'm calling about Fogo Island, of course, because I live here. Mm-hmm. Very, very concerned, Tim, and I've called uh, before, so I'm like a broken yep. record. But, uh, <laughs> Tim, it, it, it's the middle of June. There's neither contract been awarded, from my understanding. There's no coverts being started to be changed out, like got to be done and all that. Uh, so... Uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen, and I, and I I I challenge the minister Loveless, please come and let us know what's going to happen because this paving has supposed been done the last three or four years. It got cancelled last year, and we I'm airing the lineup now, catching the ferry. Um, it yeah. is, John. And is I, it on I, time I, today, Eugene? Is it on time today? Uh, well, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay. hopefully it will be Tim. But listen, uh, Tim, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, we got tourists coming this on from all over the world, and this has come home here. And I know we mm-hmm. got our family reunion this summer, and we're we're dodging potholes like like bullets. Uh, we have had a, a route tree, tree, tree across the, the island there from Salem to the center of the island. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's the worst place, uh, worst spot. Uh, we we have had accidents. We have had damage to vehicles, of course. We have had accidents, tree accidents that I know of. We have had a fatality. Uh, how bad do it have to get? Like I just came from deep bay then, and I had to dodge these these potholes like bullets, so I wouldn't damage my vehicle. I mean, come on! The local depot is telling me just recently. I called the local depot where, that uh, that province ran out of pothole patching the first of June. I mean, someone is not doing their homework, right? Uh, yeah, so, and besides that, they said the reclaimer has gone up for, for repairs. So I mean, we're we're in trouble there. I mean, you know, like so. When's the last time? Just just let me ask you this, Eugene. Sorry to interrupt you. When's the last time you can remember some good? You know, by good I mean six, uh, consistent paving happening happening out in Fogo, when they were on it all the time getting it done. Oh my goodness, it's been years. Like I'd say twenty plus years since been any paving done on Fogo Island. Yeah, and, and, and right now, it's I know to my community in Deep Bay, they got the potholes filled with gravel, and people are getting damaged onto their, their windshields. And that, I mean, we don't need gravel roads today. We need paving. It, it, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And, and, I mean, I'm not blaming on the depot, but, I mean, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. someone got to take the, 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 the bull by the horns and get this done because, you know, like I, I, I traveled to Tilting yesterday, and, I mean, yeah. the roads. Beautiful community. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, you know, like I mean, the lineup, like I said, and we got people coming from all over the world. In down there is black solid. I mean, you know, this is a wonderful place. I mean, like like your producer is saying, like Fonz is saying, Fogwell is beautiful. And and Tim, you've been well, there, haven't you? Yeah, I, I've been here actually. The last time I went down there, my mother would say it was my driving, but I blew a tire on the way down uh, to uh, Hopewell there, uh, or sorry, the other side, going down from uh, from Gander, blew a yeah, tire, and they fixed it for me. 
but I was, uh, and it was because of the because of the road. I won't say it was my driving. But to your point about tourism, so here's where the Pearson story connects. So you get a, a lot of, as you say, people from outside Newfoundland going to Fogo, and most of them yeah. will fly from Pearson Airport, which is the worst airport in the country right now because of the challenges it's having, to Gander. Some may go to Halifax, and then they got to get on that road. What I, I mean, very quick story for you. Just just let me tell you this. I was in Boston. In April, I went doing the Boston Marathon. The girl sitting next to me on the way out to the start, she was going to Fogo this summer. We just got talking. She'd heard about it from her aunt and uncle. She was all happy to go. I feel for her now. She's going to fly to Toronto from Boston. she have to go through the hell of Toronto Airport, and then she's going to have to get on that highway with her husband. And what will be the beginning of her trip has the potential to be just a, a nightmare, and she'll you know that that that's uh, that's unfortunate because it impacts not just the people of Fogo but the province and the country because it's all about how people remember the trip. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like I'm traveling to Paris on Wednesday morning, actually. So don't tell me anything. anything else. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Tim, I tell you, it's yes, it's terrible. Uh, but uh, Tim, you know, Zeta uh, Zeta Cub and and Shorefest have built the, the tourism of this island. Absolutely, like one, one of the tourist spots of the world. And I mean, you know, I, we're talked about all over the world, like in, in newspapers, in, in the UK, wherever. But I mean, come to Fogo and 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 tear, because some of them probably rents a vehicle and comes. Yep, they do. If they can get a vehicle, Eugene. If they can get a vehicle, another problem. That's, that's another torture. Yes, if they can get a vehicle. So I mean, you know, like our MHJ Derek Bragg, our Minister Lovelace, please come on and let the public know why this hasn't been done. Why the potholes are not filled? Why the paving is not being done when it's long overdue and been and put on? Oh, uh, you know, it got canceled last year, and, and we understand the money got spent elsewhere. But that's besides the point. Listen, we need this done. This island is a tourist attraction, one of the top tourist attractions of the world. Please give us some consideration. Yeah. All right, we'll leave it there. And if Minister Lovelace or uh, uh, Mr. Bragg wants to call, we'll certainly take him on this morning. Good luck, Eugene. Good luck with the potholes. And all I'll yeah. tell you about Pearson is. Bring a knapsack, some snacks, uh, or I mean knapsack, a sleeping bag, some sacks. Look, it's yeah. not bad 24 hours in the airport. You'll be fine. All right. Tim, Tim before I go, before I go, congratulations yeah. to Linda Swain. Ontario yes. is excellent. I listen to it all the time. Congratulations, uh, Linda. Uh, oh, well, she'll be glad to hear that. It is an excellent program. Thank you, Eugene. All right. That was Eugene Nippert. You too. Uh, Eugene Nipper giving us an update on the roads in Fogo. Now we're going to talk to Isabel, uh, connecting another island, about the doctor leaving on Bell Island. Isabella, uh, uh, thank you for waiting. Sorry for the delay. Tell us what's going on. Okay. Good morning, Tim. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm all right. That's good. Um, in the last year and a half, we've lost three doctors. And as far as I'm concerned, it's uh, got a lot to do with the politics and the toxic environment you know, within our healthcare system. Mm -hmm. uh, we had uh, our doctor here as a family doctor for seven years. And because we lost the three doctors, he and another doctor were two that left because of what was going on in the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, Ken Kavanaugh got grand seduction on the go and they uh, went over to the government and they pleaded with Dr. A.R. to come back, and he did. They gave him 11 weeks to come back as a locum, and on mm -hmm. Friday, that 11 weeks is over. We're after doing everything, calling the government, our member, 
everyone that we can talk to about keeping our doctor. You've got a doctor here who is devoted to the care of the patients here on mm-hmm. the island and who follows them. Now, the government thinks that they can run the hospital with nurse practitioners. They're wonderful people, yes, but they still got to go to a doctor to make sure everything is put in place and done properly. And I'm pleading with the government out there now, uh, Dr. Hagee, whoever's in charge, maybe some of those people got to be changed, to give Dr. A.R. what he's looking for. Look, this man, he's here on the island. We got him now. They're giving out X number of dollars. Uh, and does he live on the island, Isabella? Just, just yes. Does he live on? Okay, yes. he does live on the island. Okay. Yes, he do. And the government has given out X number of dollars to entice doctors to come here. Now, we've got a doctor here on the island, and the only thing, he's not looking for more money, because I was talking to our member, and he said, well, if he's in the union, they can't give him warden, they're giving somebody else, but he's not looking for money. He's fine with what he's getting. All he wants, and all he's asking for, is a place to stay here on the island. He'll do Monday to Friday and see as many patients as possible, but he don't want to work call-outs in the nighttime and in the weekends. Because mm-hmm. if he got to work that long, he's going to be burnt out yep. before you know it. But the government don't agree with us. And I'll tell you that they don't agree with it, and they're not even bending a little bit because they even got his flight booked to go back on Friday. He didn't even book it himself. They booked it for him to go back. So what do that tell you? I don't want you here. Leave. So, you know the counter-argument, and I'll I'll make it, don't be mad at me personally, uh, but it is you're you're close to the uh, the urban area. Why don't you just, and again, not being insensitive here, but you've heard it, you can get on the boat and you can go uh, into the city and and get dealt with. Why doesn't that work? Well, (laughs) that doesn't work because half the time our boat don't work. (laughs) Well, there is that. You know, people, we got a lot of people over here who are on dialysis, and we haven't got a dialysis chair over here, which we could use instead of have, I've seen this poor, sick people being lugged, dragged out of their car, put in wheelchairs to go upstairs on the ferry. And it's a darn sin if you saw those people. And for people like that to have to go over to St. John's to get a doctor, no, they can't do it. You know, if you ask people on Fogo Island, you know, to leave Fogo yeah. and get on that long ferry, I know what that ferry rod is like because I worked with Coast Guard years ago, and I've been to Fogo, yeah. and I know what that ferry rod is like for those people. So, you know, you can't ask people, you know, if you're sick, get on a ferry, go to St. John's and get a doctor. We got a doctor here now, and I don't know why Dr. Heggie or whoever the powers that be will not give him what he's looking for to stay here. He's willing to stay here. Mm-hmm. He loves it here, and he loves the people here. He loves Newfoundland, period. 
and, and you know, you're, you're talking about this, and it's uh, the, the, the challenges of rural medicine. Dr. Powell, I believe it was, had an article that uh, was quoted this weekend. She's from Grand Falls. Challenges, she's speaking about community medicine. Of course, the province is involved in the transformation of the healthcare system. But it, it's fascinating, I, and I suspect this is what's happening with Dr. A.R. there. There's uh, Physician burnout is a real thing. It's not enough just to say, suck it up, doctors. Uh, you're paid well. you got to get on with it. These are human beings. Yes, they're paid well but they're trained well and they're they're suffering right now too uh yeah. and it's it's uh, we we need to to get better at all this anything you want to add quickly isabella because i gotta go to break here well i'm just i just want to ask the government pull your big pants up and do something about this and let us keep our doctor we only got until friday okay. and he's flying out of here on saturday and if he flies out this time we're not going to get him back yeah. So somebody do something. Well, Dr. Haggy's uh, welcome to call, as he always is, or anybody else, or uh, MHA Brazel, who uh, looks after Bell Island, uh, to offer their perspective. Welcome it. Thanks, Isabella, for the uh, the update on what's going on there. I hope it gets resolved in the affirmative. Good to talk to you today. I do, too. Thank you so much for taking my call, Tim. Okay. Bye-bye. You're welcome. That's Isabella. All right, time for a break on VOCM's Open Line. Back with Charlie. I think Charlie wants to talk about Blue Jacket. I don't mean the Columbus ones. Back in a moment with Charlie. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. This is Open Line on VOCM. Welcome back to Open Line. Tim Powers in for Patty. You can get me on Twitter at PowersTim or openline at vocm.com. And I've got uh, Fonz King producing with me. Fonz doing a great job lining up lots of calls, lots of things to talk about this morning. Just before I go to Charlie, I want to remind people, if you have the ability and the time and and you're inclined and the means, a lot of ands, ands, ands there, uh, see if you can help out Bridges of Hope this morning. We just had uh, Jody Williams on, and uh, Jody told you of the struggles they're having and, and other food service uh, agencies. If it's not Bridges to Hope, somebody else, help them out. They really need it right now. Tough for everybody. Uh, but if you can, uh, and no amount is too little. So that's my plea for that. Again, this morning just made a donation myself. To live up to my word. Uh, and a man who always has insightful words. Charlie, how are you today? Oh, good morning, Tim. Good morning. I, 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 doing fine, thanks. I, I, I hope you are as well. I uh, am, thank you. You ran in the Boston Marathon. If you could call what I do running, yeah, I uh, I got it done. I, I was I went in on the charity side, not just because I'm a charity case, but you can raise yeah. money for charities and participate, and it was great. And my son was there, and yeah. fantastic event. We raised some money for melanoma, so uh, melanoma research. So it was an awesome experience. Great, great stuff. So you both finished. Great. Oh no no, he's only six. I he was there cheering me on at the end. Oh. That was the big thrill for me. I wasn't unlike that other family who encouraged their six-year-old to run. I only encouraged my son to run a kilometer. I'm not a big fan of making them run <laughs> 42. Anyway, okay. Uh, Tim, uh, you've heard Noam uh, Chomsky speak, I guess, no. <laughs> uh, uh, hundreds of times. Would you agree with that? Uh, not in person, but certainly read a lot of his stuff and seen a lot yeah. of his online lectures. Yes. Would you agree he's probably one of one of the wisest people in in North America maybe? 
Depend. Uh, I, I, he's a thoughtful fellow. I would disagree with some of his perspectives, but they, his, he is certainly a, a well-regarded intellect, uh, more on the uh, on the on the left, but one who is is regarded for his perspectives. How about that? Well, okay, I'll take that. Uh, <laughs> I, I would class him up there as as, as as one of the best, probably in the world. Mm-hmm. But anyway, him and Gwyn Dyer would, would 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 agree on several things that he said on a YouTube thing I watched. Okay. He basically was uh, interviewed by a German guy who um, he took an alien perspective. If an alien came and was looking down on us, uh, what would he see? What would he think? He or she, I should say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said basically two of the greatest threats to mankind would be what we're doing in our atmosphere with the climate Mm -hmm. and the the uh, closeness to uh, nuclear holocaust as you know the doomsday clock uh, was moved there it's about i think it's about two minutes to midnight that's so close the experts have, have, have put that one but anyway uh, if you look at worldwide he was of course in favor of a world government because he feels that uh, each country has its own interests its national interests and they don't always act in, 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 the, in, in the right way for the planet. Mm-hmm. United Nations uh, kind of is too weak to, to do that. Yeah. And that, that's where me and others would disagree with Chomsky, but go ahead, go ahead, make, make the argument. He didn't say this, but the, the, uh, essentially the, 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 this, this is what he was saying about apathy and what the alien would say. Right. If you look at governments, uh, what they're doing as far as this, this uh, looming catastrophe... Uh, they're basically talking good talk at their conferences and coming home and doing much, much little as to what they've promised. Uh, that would be true, certainly, of all governments. Probably Germany would be up there as one of the better ones. If you look at corporations, their bottom line would be to make profit, and some of them... Uh, will will pay lip service but again uh, they want they want us to overconsume to, to to sell goods to us so they can uh, make the profit and of course you know what production of con- mm-hmm. consumer mm-hmm. goods does in terms of energy use and so on and then you've got schooling uh uh the education system i, I should say schooling not education there's a big difference in in, in those two education is much more broader They've pretty well ignored the thing as far as their offerings. There shouldn't be one university student leave in any university in the world without a, a, a complete knowledge of, 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 of what David Suzuki has been trying to tell us for years, how this planet works, how we survive on it. What are the basic systems that, that, that keep this thing going, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd also include all schools, as, uh, uh, high school as, as well. I just, just, I just want to be conscious of time, Charlie. So we've got about three minutes here. You, you, uh, you want to link this, I assume, to what was said at Energy Newfoundland last week about uh, more, um, potentially three or four more beta nords. How does this all connect to us at home, from well, your perspective? What, what the message I'm trying to make is, and, and I was going to talk about the fourth group as individuals, how okay. little we're, we're doing, half Canadians, uh, I think it's not a serious problem. His point was, and my point is, and, and that fits in, of course, with what they're talking about, uh, more oil. We, we, we act as if this, this is not happening. 
the alien is saying, why would they want to kill themselves? Why, why won't they, as a world, address what's what's facing them? That's that's the point he he was trying to make. Uh, we get worried each day about the usual things, the gas prices, as we should, and the higher food prices, and all all these are major concerns. But if, shouldn't there be a body that's that's looking at the planet as he's talking about and saying this can continue, and this has to stop? What are we going to do about it? I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. In India, in the last couple just, of just, but yeah, there is supposed there. So, whenever we get these climate reports, you remember when the uh, head of the UN or World Health Organization, I forget which one, I'll get it clarified in between the break, said it's code red for humanity on climate change. That came from the IPCC. The IPCC is an international, a, a group of, uh, of, of governments who together produce reports on the state of climate change. So there are bodies out there doing this that are transnational and connected uh, throughout the planet. Okay, I'll agree with you there. They're basically ignored by governments and the rest of us after, after they send out th these reports. But I'll give you a couple of examples there. In India, in the last couple of uh, months, they've had temperatures hovering between 45 and 50-something degrees. Now, even for Indians, that's pretty hard to live in. That's warm weather, very warm weather, yeah. That, that's, no, that's not warm weather. That's, that's, well, it's a, what do they call that, a heat dome like they had in B.C. last summer that killed a number of people, yeah. Yes. You've, you've got every second in this planet they've calculated there's one person moving because of drought. They can no longer grow their own food. That, that is an amazing stat in itself. And he said, imagine with, the, with, with, with sea levels rising in a place like Bangladesh, there'll, there'll literally be, be millions, tens of millions of people who will not stay there. They will move. Governments will not stop them. Borders will not stop them. So he said, if you think immigration, migration is bad now, and people yeah. are resisting it. So I guess what I'm saying, I'm quoting him, would be, why the hell are we so blasé? about something that's hitting us now is in front of us, and we hacked all these institutions, schools, ourselves, corporations, governments, we hacked as if it's business as usual. That's my point. Okay, I'll, I'll take that point. I, I challenge some of it, but I, I do agree there's not enough consistent focus on what you're talking about and the problems no one can dispute that they uh they are real um two just two quick things and then we have to go to news it was antonio antonio guterres who is the head of the un who said code red for humanity and the acronym so people understand it which is the global group that looks at climate change ipcc stands for intergovernmental panel on climate change anyway as always charlie appreciate your insights you you rightly get people to think about things and have serious discussions about serious matters always good to chat with you all right thank you tim for for listening and all the best to you sir all right take care that was charlie time for a break here now with our vocm news when we come back uh i hope you'll find this as interesting as i do i have david coletto who's been on the show often from abacus data my business partner going to talk about the amount of and type of conspiracy theories that uh, Canadians believe. And, and by amount, I mean in the, in the millions, tens of millions, 
at least, of Canadians who believe conspiracy theories. It's fascinating and challenging. Back with David Coletto and that after the VOCM News. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. This is Open Line on VOCM. Welcome back to Open Line. Well, as I promised, we're going to talk about conspiracy theories because they're so driving the body politic in North America, uh, here at home, specifically in Canada, and the conservative leadership race. They play a role in the public debate in Newfoundland and Labrador. And to do that, I've got my colleague, David Coletto, the CEO of Abacus Data, with us because David and Abacus have been doing a series called Trust and Facts, What Canadians Believe. And this morning, or yesterday, I'm sorry, they released a bit on conspiracy theories and the headline screams, millions believe in conspiracy theories in Canada. David, is that really you, first of all, or is this a conspiracy? Are you there this morning? Good morning, Tim. Yes, it's me. Uh... Uh, Monday morning, not feeling <laughs> fully there, but you know, I'm doing well. Well, well, glad to have you on. You're no stranger, of course, to the VOCM Airways, and your your polls are well well regarded uh, in Newfoundland and Labrador. Tell us about this uh, this particular poll and, and and the series. And I mean, it, it's fascinating that it's coming out now because, of course, last week the January sixth hearings began in the United States. Uh, around what happened on that terrible day two years ago, or a year ago, I guess, in fact, it is. Sorry, a year and a half ago, 18 months ago. And people argue a lot of what transpired there was driven by conspiracy. So tell us about your poll and what you've learned. Yeah, so we're looking at sort of a number of uh, dynamics and dimensions of, you know, conspiracy theories, trust in news organizations, trust in government. Last week, we released data that showed, you know, half of Canadians say they have, you know, much of the information they get from news organizations is false and they can't trust official government's accounts of events. So that's the underlying basis by which increasingly many Canadians are consuming information with a very high level of skepticism. And at the same time, it's clear, susceptible to um, stories and ideas that are definitely and clearly false. And and so in the, the most recent survey we did, you know, we found wide, large numbers of people, uh, shockingly, I think, in some cases, who believe, for example, 44% of Canadians believe that big events like wars, recessions, elections are controlled by a small group secretly working against the rest of us. 41% believe that much of our lives are controlled by plots hatched in secret places. And you may have heard of the great um, replacement theory that's being yep. talked about. Even in the conservative leadership race, 37% believe that a group of people is trying to replace um, Canadians, native-born Canadians with immigrants who share their political views, right? So that's just the... And maybe maybe just for linguistic purposes, can can I just get you to clarify what you mean by native-born Canadians, given the word native has different connotations, but just yeah, explain what you mean by point. native. We mean, we mean like basically white people, um, which uh, Indigenous people would take offense to. We use that language because we're actually going to compare the results to the exact same question okay. that was asked in the United States, so that's why it sounds kind of strange that way, yeah. Okay, perfect. Um, can you break 
these beliefs down along political lines and further demographic lines. So who's believing this, believing these theories? Well, we see a higher concentration among those on the right side of the political spectrum, particularly the People's Party of Canada. Three quarters of them believe in these ideas that, you know, a small cabal of people are making all the decisions for us and driving world events. 72% of People's Party supporters believe that you know, uh, of the replacement, the great replacement theory idea, but about half of conservatives also do. Um, and so it's, it's much more widespread on the right side. But, you know, even among liberals, even among New Democrat supporters, we're seeing uh, a sizable plural, uh, you know, minority, 40 percent or so, who believes in these things. So it's not isolated to the right, but it's more the incidence is higher. They're more likely to be uh, on the right side of the spectrum. But what's most important in driving the belief, and, and we looked at other things like, you know, did did, did uh, Bill Gates put microchips on all of us to track us? 13% of Canadians believe that's either definitely or probably true. What what drives it is, is simply a lack of trust, a lack of trust in the media, a lack of trust in government accounts. And an and a indicator of that is if you didn't get a COVID vaccine, you are the most likely to believe these things. There's a strong correlation between not getting vaccinated and your belief in conspiracy theories, which I think shows the connection that people don't trust the science. They don't trust government folks who tell them it's safe. And as a result, they also believe some, some pretty some pretty far out things, let's say. Can you also break it down around education and region? Are there other, uh, how do they play into this and, and gender? Are there other patterns you see? A little bit. I mean, a region doesn't play too much of a factor, um, which I think makes sense. It's not so much where you live. Yeah. It's, it's sort of, as you said, um, your, your broader beliefs. Um, education matters to some extent. Those with higher levels of formal education, less likely to believe these things. But it's not, you know... It's not as if anyone who has a university degree, for example, doesn't believe these things. There's, in fact, a lot of people who, particularly younger people, uh, we find, who, who are more prone to, to, to saying they believe these things at least partially to be true or they agree with these, these ideas. Um, and, and, but we do find it higher among those with, with less formal education. Um, and then it's, it's you know, gender-wise, men, younger men in particular, a little, little higher uh, likelihood of believing these things than, than women. I, I look at two of the numbers in the in the study, and you mentioned them. Forty-four uh, percent believe big events like wars, recessions, outcomes, election are controlled by small groups, and then thirty-seven percent think uh, a group of people in this country are trying to replace native-born Canadians with immigrants who agree with their political views. Those two numbers, as you and I both know, many of the listeners know, if you were to coalesce all of those people to vote for one political party that produces majority governments is that why we see people like pierre polyev and others uh trafficking theories um like the ones you have discussed i think it it, it could explain it um you know y you might have thought and i might have thought when i did this survey that we were talking about small tiny minorities of people who believe this so small that you could kind of ignore them hope that it doesn't spread but it, but but the but the real worry is that there's enough people out there that if you unite them together and they vote for one option, that they can elect governments, they can elect significant numbers of people. And so, I think if you are trying to win the leadership of a political party and you need an active, engaged group to sign up and vote for you, 
you know, you could see how um, this works. I think Donald Trump did it very effectively. I, you mentioned January 6th right at the start of our conversation, and I think that was driven by entirely by this notion that the election was stolen um, from from Donald Trump and Republicans, and and a shocking number of Americans continue to believe it, even though when you watch the evidence and you see the proof, it's, it's obvious that um, it's not the case. So, so I do think it's politically – it could become a politically powerful group, and the challenge in our world today is it is even harder than ever um, because of the way we consume media and information, because of how isolated we are from different people who disagree with us, that convincing these people otherwise um, and the ability for it to spread – is, is that I think at a level that we've never seen before. There's always been conspiracy theory. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. This idea is not new, but the, how widespread they've they've come to be believed, um, I think, is a, a real challenge for our democracy, and it's a real challenge for for informed conversation and debate, um, not just here in Canada but around the world. Before I let you go, uh, you don't offer this and that because you were looking at, at data and trying to understand where, where people are, uh, where their heads are. You're ta- you talked a little bit about some of the challenges. What would be a diagnostic on how to deal with this? We have lots of legislative issues at the forefront now in the federal parliament. They're looking at you know regulating online media platforms, and of course federal government is, is spending money, and this has led to this conspiracy theory being believed. In some parts, uh, spending money to keep uh, different media organizations afloat. Any sense of what a diagnostic is to address all of these challenges? Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not convinced that you know, government regulating you know, <laughs> the news or online is actually going to help. In fact, if, if one of the drivers of b- the belief in this is that they don't trust government, that's just going to push these people even farther away and, and make them even question more of what they see on credible news organizations because they're going to believe it's controlled by, by government. I think, you know, Tim, I don't know if there's a policy or a regulation that's going to solve this, but I do think that leadership matters. And you mentioned the conservative leadership race as an example, that if, that if we want our society and our country to kind of fall into this, this place where half of people are believing, you know, not, things that are not true – I think it's it's the responsibility of our political leaders and our our, our government leaders to not peddle this stuff, um, and and I think it, my assessment is if you look at where it's spread, it's all because of certain individuals have decided that it's in their interest to spread it. Donald Trump is the perfect example. So, I I do think we need a conversation about not electing people who take advantage of us and encourage this kind of stuff. I'm not sure there's a policy choice that makes this go away unless, you know, our leaders decide that they don't want to do it. I think that's well said. Uh, Last quick question for you. So trust in facts, what Canadians believe, what can we expect next in this series of, uh, of data that you're releasing? So we've got a, 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 we're going to start comparing some of the data we've collected with other data that's been collected in the United States to see how Canadians and Americans compare. We had some other questions uh, around some other conspiracies and, and ideas that, um, you know, quite a number of people um, believe. So expect those over the next few days, and we're going to continue to see the connection between what people think and how that affects our political behaviors. All right. Good to have you on this morning, David. Thanks as always. Thanks, Tim. Take care.
Okay, that was uh, David Coletto, uh, CEO of Abacus Data. So, yeah, the small cabal. Look, David and I put this information on, but the information is relevant and important, and you can sift through it yourself on the Abacus Data site. Time for a break here on VOCM. When we come back, we're going to talk to Tracy, uh, who has some comments she wants to make about uh, the health system and, and home care. Back with Tracy after the break. The Workday winds down with Greg Smith in the drive. Get up to speed on the day's events and current traffic, weather, and community updates each weekday afternoon on your VOCM. This is Open Line on VOCM. That commercial with Greg always gets me because we're working in different time zones, and I'm wondering, is it, what what time is it? When's Greg coming up? Well, Greg's omnipresent, of course, and he's a father now. Well done. Congratulations, Greg. Now, before we go to Tracy, and it's in the same um, ballpark that Tracy's going to talk about, which is healthcare. I just want to quickly... Uh, speak to something I'm seeing here on Twitter. And again, speaking of conspiracy theories and and the Twitter audience, they can often be linked and uh, and you have to take all of this with a grain of salt. But I, I believe this to be accurate and it reflects the discussion we started to have earlier about challenges with health care in Newfoundland and Labrador, particularly family physicians in remote locations. We had Isabella on from Bell Island talking about Dr. A.R., uh, there was a story in the weekend about Dr. Powell in Grand Falls, Windsor, who's been there for a while, who's closing her community practice. This morning I see a tweet from uh, Dr. Slaney, who, according to her Twitter profile, is in Whitburn, and she says this, and it's important to read. Dr. Powell summarizes all the reasons why I, too, have decided to close my family practice in September. We've asked for help, and the government has continued to gaslight FPs, I'm assuming that means family practitioners, and offer no support. I am young and refuse to do this for 30-plus years. Uh, the, the facts of Dr. Slaney's um, argument aside, it's a really bad thing really bad thing if what Dr. Slaney says is a feeling shared by other young family physicians. You want young family physicians who are just graduating to settle in these communities to spend, as Dr. Powell has and others, decades in these communities. And if they're already turned off by this, this is really challenging. I Look, I, I, I know Dr. Hagee, I know Dr. Fury, and I know Dr. Parfrey, the new health transformation deputy minister. Um, politics aside, I know them all to be good and wise people. I don't envy the tasks they have ahead because there are decisions that are going to have to be made and the system is going to have to change and there are going to be trade-offs. And we're also going to have to accept that there's some trade-offs. But this is worrisome. Maybe this is a coordinated campaign by some doctors to raise these issues now. And fair enough, that's how these things work. But if you're a, a doctor or a nurse, uh, you're in a rural community, uh, another health practitioner, you want to call us and give us your perspective, please do, because I want to dig into this further. But let's go to Tracy now, who is having her own challenges with uh, the health system in Newfoundland and Labrador. Tracy, good morning. You there, Tracy? Hello? Do we have Tracy Fonts? Uh, okay, we're getting uh, we're getting Tracy there now. We we did have her, but she uh, she stepped away. That's uh, that's fine. Just back on this subject while Fonts gets. Oh, there we go. We certainly don't have Tracy right now. Um, maybe she's gone to a doctor's appointment. Bad joke. But this this is tough. I, I look at this, and it causes me to great concern, but I also understand the economics of it. 
and this is the discussion we have had on this program before. You, it is not fiscally realistic unless we change the way we pay for medicine, probably, to continue to provide service everywhere. But it is soul-sucking, heartbreaking to hear these stories of doctors and other practitioners who are just burned out and leaving. Yes, they're paid well. Yes, they, 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 uh, they, they may live better than other people do. But the work that they do is so invaluable. I know Senator Revalia, of course, who was a doctor down in uh, – tri- uh, she's back. All right, Tracy, you're back. Tell us your story. Good morning. I tell you, I'm 45 years old. I'm secondary progressive multiple sclerosis. I have no use of my legs. So since 2011, I've had home care. I've had ongoing problems with my workers not showing up, looking for money, but I dealt with it all. But mm-hmm. I, I fought with my doctors and my psychiatrists. Dr. Vogue my psychiatrist. Dr. House is my GP. I spoke to all of them, and they all wrote up letters on my behalf, to have my spouse look after me. So after seven months, finally the end of December, they approved it. Okay. So I tell you, there a month, uh, two months ago, he had to go away for three weeks because we owed money, and this would have took us out of it. So my social worker from Community Health in Harbor Grace, Christina Tuck, called me, and told me it was approved for three weeks, 21 days. He was back in 20 days. Everything went fine. I had a worker at the time. Everything was okay. So he went back in his name. He got home. They called me last last week, Wednesday or Thursday, and told me it's revoked. They're no longer allowing him to do my home care. So they Why? No, they said the policy has changed. Without any notification or any consultation uh, with you on that, okay. Not only that, they checked into it. All the agencies have no workers available. So I spoke to them Friday, and I said, what am I going to do? They said, we'll put it in place for a couple more days. We'll be in touch next week. But... It is coming out of Jason's name. I said, all right, so it's Friday. You get to go home and enjoy your weekend. What am I going to do? Because Jason has to go away to work if he can't get approved to be paid for here. He needs money like everybody else. Isn't that right? Well, everybody needs money to live. You're right, yeah. That's right. So, we got bills to pay. So, how? <laughs> How are you supposed to be cared for then? This is what my question is. This is the reason why I wanted to go online. I wanted to tell my story. What am I supposed to do at the end of the day? If he got to go away, I'm left in the bed. I went through it before being in the bed, and I got very sick and weak. I tell you, I got no use of my legs, but the rest of me works just fine. And I just want to get washed and get up in the morning. And Jason does all that, and we haven't had no trouble since he's been doing it. So why revoke it now? 
and they're and they haven't given you it's he's getting revoked because he he so I understand this he's getting revoked because he has a paying job that disqualifies him is that their rationale for this well I tell you now they approved him to look after me when he had a paying job previously yes yes okay okay so they so, one job and put him here okay so you're uncertain as to why this is. Oh my! They said they said the policy has changed. But you got no. And have you talked to your MHA about this? I spoke with Steve Crocker. I left yeah. ongoing messages last week. He messaged me 11:30 Friday night on Facebook Messenger and told me he would be in touch Monday. So it's okay. Monday. I haven't heard nothing yet. Okay, but he, all right, you have contacted contact your MHA and your MHA has contacted you. I, I mean, just looking at your circumstances, and we know, Tracy, there are people in similar circumstances. What do you say to government about how they need to address your circumstances and others? How do you help people like you who are trying to work as best you can to get uh, to manage your illness? How, what, what do they need to do? This is what I mean. Is it so hard? I'm not the only one out there that needs help. Yeah. So what can the government do to help us better, the ones that actually do need the help? I, I'll take anything I can get. That's the truth. And you're young. You're 45. You're, yeah, you've got a, a, a life ahead of you. Oh, my. Well, I, I thank you for sharing your story. Uh, I'm sorry thank you're going you through. Let me go online. Well, and we'll see if we can get some answers. If Steve Crocker, Steve's always welcome to call, or anybody wants to call to speak about um, your case or how they're addressing all of this, we'll we'll take them on here on Open Line. Good luck, Tracy. I hope your circumstances improve. Thank you so much. I hope so, too. Thank you all for right. your time. You're welcome, Tracy. Okay, that was Tracy. That's a, that's a tough story. Um, and there are no doubt others going through what Tracy is, and we're happy to talk about it and see if we can talk about finding solutions and maybe get you some. Time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. Back with uh, conservative leadership candidate Scott Aitchinson after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. This is Open Line on VOCM. All right, welcome back. We're going to jump into federal politics for a moment here on Open Line. We're going to talk now with Scott Aitchison. Scott, of course, is one of the candidates for the leadership of the Conservative Party. He's the former mayor of Huntsville, and he's the current MP for Perry Sound, Muskoka. We talked to him a while ago. Scott, how are you this morning? I'm fantastic. How are you, Tim? I uh, I am I am good. I you know survived the recent uh, trip through Pearson Airport, which uh, isn't as pleasurable as Parry Sound or Muskoka, but uh, it it was a journey in a, in and of itself. One of the problems I know you guys in the leadership have been talking about. How's your campaign going so far, Scott? The leadership deadline ca- came and went last week. Uh, now we're in the interregnum period before the vote. How's it gone? It's gone really really well. I'm. Uh... I've been, it's, and it's really exciting, actually. Then we've been, you know, crisscrossing the country and talking about ideas and principled conservative policy and uh, getting to know more conservatives and 
And of course, you know, the other candidates uh, have been, you know, building, uh, you know, building as well and uh, selling memberships. So our, our conservative party is growing. It's great. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a history-making number, the party, Conservative Party confirming that, 600, oh, that somewhere in the range of 600,000 people have signed up to vote in, in the leadership. They're going through a verification process now, and I think they hope to have that done by the, the 29th of July. Mr. Polyev says he has 310,000. You haven't released your, your membership figures. Um, the politics of membership numbers aside what do you what do you take from that number what do you you as a candidate and you as a conservative mp take from the fact that 600,000 people apparently paid $15 a head so that's 9 million bucks to get involved in a federal leadership race what do you what's your read on that well i i my read on it is this is that, that there are a lot of canadians who are really frustrated and uh, want to see change in ottawa uh, and they're they're joining the ranks of the Conservative Party because, of course, uh, we represent that change. Uh, but what I will also say about it, though, is that my fear is that uh, we need to make sure as Conservatives that we're not just fanning the flames of that frustration and, and making people more angry, but that we're actually presenting solutions in a responsible and respectable way that actually will attract uh, not just uh, you know core conservative voters, but that we can actually win in places like Newfoundland, where we need to win if we want to form a government. And so uh, that's been my approach to the whole campaign. It will continue to be as we now move into this next phase of the campaign, which they call the the persuasion phase, where we need to you know work to demonstrate to uh, the, the 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 many new members uh, that you know I think that I'm the right guy to present that message, a principled conservative message that. That will that will that will resonate not just in our core base uh, uh, of rural Canada and Western Canada, but also in the urban areas and Eastern Canada too. We just had David Coletto on from uh, our company Abacus, and speaking about a poll they released, you may or may not have seen it about people's belief in conspiracy theories, and uh, there are a lot of Canadians who believe in some of the things that are out there, including uh, world dominance by a small group of people, i.e. the World Economic Forum, or they believe in uh, Bill Gates putting microchips in in all of us. Um, Pierre Polyev in this leadership campaign has uh, preached a couple of very close conspiracy theory type narratives, one around the World Economic Forum, uh, another about how the Bank of Canada works. That's less conspiracy than more um, more technical. Uh, and he certainly seems to have gotten a following from all of that. How do you feel about doing that? Well, I think it's, I think it's wrong. I, and I think it's actually fairly anti-conservative. Conservatives are about building up our institutions and making them stronger, making them you know, more resilient, more responsive to Canadians, as opposed to tearing them down for crass political purposes. And you know, these uh, conspiracy theories, this whole business of the World Economic Forum having some kind of control over our government, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. The fact of the matter is there, uh, you know, the World Economic Forum uh, is, uh, is an elite group of, of very wealthy business leaders across the globe uh, who may talk about ideas that, you know, I don't agree with, but I fundamentally think it's not a smart idea to, you know, ban people from talking to those who we may not agree with. That's what democracy is all about. 
democracy is all about hearing each other out and listening to each other. We don't have to agree on everything to, uh, you know, to, to move this country forward. But, but to, you know, it's irresponsible to fan the to, to fan the flames of those kinds of uh, conspiracy theories. I think it's uh, it behooves conservatives to to call these things out for what they are. Uh, we don't need to so be when, afraid of the world. We need to we need to engage with the world. We need to engage with the world with a principled Canadian stance on all the issues we care about, whether it's uh, freedom of speech and religion, or uh, whether it's uh, you know economic policy or or our foreign policy when it comes to you know NATO spending. And we just we just need to be responsible and and, uh, and principled, not just here in Canada but around the world. Funny, you, you, somebody likes you, uh, Scott. I just got a message on Twitter. I won't say from who. Somebody said, I really like what this guy's saying. He should win the leadership. So you got one fan in Newfoundland there, Scott, while I was talking to you. Um, I'm, sure you I'm sure you have more. I, I hope you, there's a couple more than one, but yeah, we'll see. <laughs> well, what's, a, what's one out of 600 in a riding with 100 points? Anyway, we'll worry about that after for you. Uh, question, um, you and five of the candidates – have called on the Conservative Party to have another leadership debate. The only one who hasn't is Mr. Polyev. Why do you think a debate is necessary, and do you think the party is going to grant uh, another leadership debate? They've reserved the right to do it. What's your take on all of that? Well, I think there's a lot of new members, and, uh, and a lot of those members uh, may not have seen out of the, uh, the, the, the first sanctioned debate in English in Edmonton or the second one in Laval in, in French. Uh, and so I think it's uh, you know any opportunity to present ideas and uh, and our 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 plans for the party to to the membership is a good thing. And so you know if the party said from day one that they reserve the right to host another one, uh, and I think uh, another one's a good idea just based on solely on the numbers of people that have joined. So uh, let, let's present that. And 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 of course you know to have a debate during this phase of the leadership. Uh, is a great idea. This is where we. This is where we're trying to persuade people. So you know, I'm, I'm getting messages from people that may have signed up under other candidates mm-hmm. on their web pages, and they're saying, you know what, I signed up for this person, but I really like, just like your your Twitter friend there. I really like what you're saying. I didn't really know much about you before, but you sound like you really, you know, you get what's going on, and you you you. It's reasonable. I think I'm going to vote for you. I, I think it's important for all members to have that opportunity to see all the candidates again and uh, and see them on stage and how they interact with each other. All right, before I let you go, now I've heard Pierre Polyev's got a path to victory. Patrick Brown has a path to victory. Jean Charest has a path to victory. They've all gone on record saying that. Does Scott Aitchison have a path to victory? Yeah, absolutely. There's always a path <laughs> to victory. This is, this is a ranked ballot. Uh, okay. This is a ranked ballot, right? So... Uh, you know, I, I've heard many people say you can be you can be the second choice of an awful lot of people and, and win this. I mean, if you look at the last two leadership races, uh, you know, Aaron O'Toole was 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 not leading in the polls and won won that race. And uh, in, and the and the and the race before that, I mean, it, it looked like Maxime Bernier was going to run away with it. And in the end, it was Andrew Shear that that, uh, that won based on multiple ballots. So. Uh, there's always there's always a path to victory, and that's what my team is focused on. We're focused on presenting a message that will persuade enough new conservative members that they need to put me number one on the ballot, and uh, so that I can that I can you know build support as we go through the balloting process and and win this, and then bring conservatives together, bring our movement together, bring our caucus together, and present a message to 
Canadians across the country that uh, we are the, the next government in waiting and that we can be trusted to govern and lead. Uh, I'll leave it there. Always good to have you on, Scott. Good luck to you. you people don't appreciate you still have another three months to go uh, before uh, before the results are known. Uh, thanks for joining us. You're always welcome here on VOCM. Well, tell your tell your listeners too. I'll tell them, I guess, that we're gonna. I'm gonna be in Newfoundland in July, so I hope to meet as many folks as possible and continue that persuasion. All right, good man. Thank you. That's uh, Scott Aitchison, the MP from Perry Sound, Muskoka, one of the candidates for the Conservative leadership race. Now, time for a break here on VOCM. We've got a number of calls in the lineup. Look forward to talking to Keith next. The Workday winds down with Greg Smith in the drive. Get up to speed on the day's events and current traffic, weather, and community updates each weekday afternoon on your VOCM. This is Open Line on VOCM. Welcome back to Open Line. As promised, we're going to go to the lines and talk to Keith on line one. Keith, you want to talk about accessibility? Yes, I do. Tell us what uh, what your thoughts are. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you know what happened to me. Okay. I called I called the taxi uh, here one time, and he picked me up, which was fine. Mm-hmm. And another couple of days, I called him back again. And he said he wouldn't pick me up anymore because I had a wheelchair. Can now, he even he, do that? Uh, I, guess I don't he... know, sir, but it seems like that's what he's doing. It seems like I feel like I'm discriminated against. And here am I now. I want to go. I want to go from point A to point B. I'm not going to say where I'm going, but that don't matter. But no. where I want, I want to go from point A to point B. And here's the taxi driver down there won't. One picked me up. I got, a wheel, I got a wheelchair, and he said, "I guess, I guess he figured I'm a bit. See, I got a minor disability, and and I guess mm-hmm. he figured I was too slow getting in the car. But even so, even so, you've still got to wait for people to get in the car when you're in when you're in a wheelchair. Now you might not get in as fast as somebody else, yeah. but I can get where I want to go. Let me tell you." No, but l- let me ask you, like, did you, um, so you picked, d- did you call and ask for a car that uh, was yes, uh, I did. accessible? I yes, I did ask for that because uh, that's all we got. We got no wheelchair van, van or wheelchair transportation in Grand Falls at all. So I got to have a car, right? <laughs> so you talked to the dispatcher and you asked yes. for this. So the yes. taxi knew who, what knew he was picking somebody up who uh, had a wheelchair or, uh, and, and needed that transported. Yes, he said he wouldn't. He wouldn't pick me up. He wouldn't pick me up anymore. He said because I had a wheelchair. No, don't you think that's discrimination? So he took you, but he won't take you again. Uh, and he told you that. He, well, it's certainly something you need to address with the company. I mean, uh, who or if well, he's I, in. Uh, listen now, but listen now. I was I'm listening, talking. Keith. I'm listening. Go ahead. I was already talking to the manager. Okay, and, and what did he say? He, he he was the manager of the owns the and that was the manager that I called that day to get to get my taxi to go from point A to point B, and he did tell me himself that he wouldn't pick me up with I had a wheelchair, and there's no good for anybody to tell me that he never said that he can come and put on a stack of Bibles, but he said that I that he wouldn't pick me up because I had a wheelchair. You should, uh, I mean. 
One, you shouldn't be discriminated against. I don't know if it's an out-and-out case of discrimination. I'd need to know more of the facts. But you, I think they're, you know, the Human Rights Commission, the Newfoundland Human Rights Commission, should be able to give you some guidance on all of that. Uh, and yeah, you, you, but but that I, doesn't help you on a day-to-day basis because what other modes of transportation do you have out there? There's no other. There's only two taxis, only two taxis here right now. And neither one of them got any accessibility from wheelchairs. Well, it looks, sounds like there's an opportunity. Never, never mind it's the right thing to do. It sounds like there's a bit of a business opportunity there, too. How difficult is it, uh, for, for from your perspective, to get your chair into a car? Well, you only got the four. I'll tell you what you, you know. Got to, you can fold it. It's not a big... Um, a you big got, uh, you can, I got a cushion in my chair, you see. When I, when I bought my cushion, when I bought my chair, they had a cushion put in. They asked me, would I rather have a cushion in my chair and have a seat? So anyway, I put a... They got a cushion in my chair. Okay. He took, he took the cushion out of my chair and he opened in the car just the same as it was nothing. I want to tell you something now, but I, I don't mind being, being, I don't mind, but I don't like being discriminated like this. No, I haven't no. been up from my door for seven weeks. No. Yeah, I mean, and that has all kind of, and it's Tim, by the way, Patty's off today, but that's all right. Uh, okay. I mean, that that's okay. That's okay. Uh, you got yeah. all, I mean, that has all kinds of mental health impacts. You you need to, you need to interact with people, right? I mean, yeah, I think you need to interact with people that right there, you know? Yeah. And all I right. Can't un- I can't. No, go ahead. I can't understand why I was not, why I was discriminated like this. And he, and he said, you're not, uh, you know, but I feel I was discriminated, uh, Tim. I feel like I, I feel like I was discriminated, eh? And I don't know what I should do, if I should take this any further or what I should do. But I, uh, I, I, would, I would call the Newfoundland Human Rights Commission and get them to the, the, their website if you have a... Uh... Have um, have access to a computer is is pretty accessible. Just put it in Google, or I think it's thinkhumanrights.ca, and get some guidance on on that. Um, I mean, ultimately, whether you go further or not, one you you should have the same opportunity as every able-bodied person to be able to go to and fro. Yes. Even though in a in a smaller community that can be tough, but if somebody says they provide the service, they should be able to provide that service to you. And that's right. That's right. I'm telling you know I, I, this is her, this is hurting me, Patty. I've been I've been sad all week. Not sad altogether, but I want to get out in the summer. I don't want to be in the house waiting for somebody to, to, to say, if it's okay to go here or go over there. I want to go. I want to get something done about this. So it won't happen to anybody else when they come, you know. But what would be the good enough for me to say to somebody, oh, you can come on down with me, my dear. We got wheelchair accessibility. So we got no wheelchair accessibility here. We got nothing. We got nothing here, Fatty, when it comes to people in wheelchairs. Now getting getting buildings and stuff like that, but we want to we want to be able to move around a little bit, eh? Yeah, totally get it, and, and it's, I'm still Tim. I haven't changed to Patty yet, but oh, uh, yeah, that's all right. That's all right. I'm trying to put a smile on your face. You sound yeah, like you're uh, you're you're a little despondent. Um, well, I would try the Human Rights Commission. Maybe talk to your MHA. See what see what they say. And I look, 
go go to the horses, go back to them, go back to the 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 company and say, look, you know, this I'm not getting out of my wheelchair. I need to get around. Can we find a way to to work this out? Um, I'm, gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you now what I'm gonna do. Okay, what if, are you gonna do? If he don't take, if he if he says something, he might be he might be the one they're looking for a wheelchair van in Grand Paul, Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you right now. I'll never, never know it again with him. Yeah, I well, figure I've been discriminated against. I figure I've had a lot of, I, I, you know, I've fallen on to my wit's end. Yeah, you, you should be, you should be, uh, tr- uh, that I, I don't, I don't, uh, disagree with you why wouldn't you be if this is the only way you can get around uh i mean maybe there's some people listening in in uh, in grand falls who would be kind enough uh to help you but that that shouldn't be put on them too if you if you can there's a lot of places in here now let me tell you there's yeah go ahead we got about 30 seconds keith after that yeah they got vans they got vans but they're that high up to get up in yeah that they're, all, that they're too high for me to get up in, eh? Uh, and and that yeah, and, and there are there are able-bodied people who have trouble with those vans too. So totally, to, yeah. totally get it. it's not it's not not easy, not easy. Well, and, and can I uh, tell you one more thing? I I'm going to mention another thing in that. Happened. Okay, you got you got like thirty seconds, so I got to go to news. Go ahead. I'm, yeah, I know, but I uh, this lady, she yeah, had, she's blind in St. John's. Mm-hmm. And they they wouldn't take her CNI dog in a taxi in St. John's. Yeah, it's, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean that seem well, your case and the the one you're mentioning don't seem entirely right. I can see how there may be certain vehicles, but if you go through dispatch or you book online or however you book the transport. Most yeah. companies I know have an option and ask that question: Do you need a special vehicle? Are you uh, able-bodied or or not? And do do we need to provide you with other assistance? I mean that that that's codified somewhere. I'm quite sure yeah, of that. But, but I want to see this come. I don't want to see this happen to anybody else. Because I've had no. a terrible, terrible couple of weeks. You know, I mean, this, no, I, this I, is terrible. I, 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 I know I know you have Keith because clearly you call me Patty again. It's got to be bad. It's got to be bad. I'm, te- I'm trying to make it trying to make you laugh again. All right, we'll leave it there, Keith. We'll leave it there. Thank you for your call. I'm sorry what you went through. I wonder would you be able to get some more people to call in. Well, you're doing that right now. Anybody's welcome to call anytime if they are experiencing what you are. I know people in government listen to this program, so you've just made the call there, Keith. That's perfect. Got to leave it there, buddy. Got to go. God bless you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Thank you. All right. Time for news here on VOCM and back with more of your calls. Jerry, you will be next. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. This is Open Line on VOCM. Plus one in uh, in Newfoundland, Brian. It's not such a nice place to live. So that Stats Canada would have got it wrong. Uh, that, that a boy. Eleven sounds more like it. Eleven sounds more like it. All right. Um, now I'm going to go to Jerry, who's on line three. Jerry, you want to talk about the economy? What uh, what specifically or generally do you want to address? 
Yeah, well, I'll I tell you now what I want to address now. I want to address the, the state everything is into, right? Okay, go for go, it, buddy. You can't go and get nothing. Everything is in state, eh, buddy? Everything's, you mean the supply chain? Everything's, yeah, the supply yeah, chain is. Everything. Well, well, we start off first with uh, the economy, you know, uh, the the. The prices on food mm-hmm. and all that. Uh, I never had a good meal. I know just just months before I had a good meal, and 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 them months is going to be shortened because I tell you why. You know why this this going to be shortened because uh, I tell you, you know because uh, the world's coming coming to an end. See, well you got another you got another year or probably two, but that's the longest two. Uh, everything is going to be in a half of state. The, the the life was never brought up before. What's what's going what's going to come up on the earth? Well, people don't know. Before you get in, hang, hang just before you get into that, because I want to ask you a question. Look, the food one's interesting, right? It's tough. So, just looking here from last week, Stats Canada said that Canadians paid nearly ten percent more for food in April of this year than they did a year before. Ten percent more. That's on top of the money you're paying for gas and the uh, the <laughs> money you're paying other other things you're buying. You're paying more. But why do you think – explain your two-year theory to me. What's that about? Well, no, I'm just trying to tell you hey, what's going to happen down the road. No, uh, you got you got two years is the longest. That's the longest you got. No, the could happen in a, in a year. This what I'm talking about now. The the the, the economy, right? Is going to come to his knees. Everything is going to come to his knees. And Trudeau is costing it all, but he has suffered down the road. See. Oh, yes, yeah, yes, you're you're not. talking about a recession. There's lots of worries about a recession. We don't want to talk one up, but you feel like the bubble's going to burst because people, oh, I mean, the inflation can't is. keep indeed rising. Yeah, although there's interesting data out there right uh, right now. Now, what? So, what data am I talking about? Uh, we have the we have our unemployment is back to pre-pandemic levels, but wage rates have not risen in. Uh, in comparison to inflation, so people are working, but they're still not—they're not making the money that they're losing necessarily through inflation. So, how do you see this get? I mean, can Trudeau, whether it's you know, there's lots of blame to go around every, every everybody, I suppose, governments, global crisis. So, yes. who could make this better, or can, or do we just have to tough it through well, see, for a while? He could make it better years ago, but he didn't how? do that. How? But how see, do you think he could? How do you think he could have done that? Well, he could have done it because you take when the when the truckers was up there, and yeah. with no back doors at all, only put them in jail. That's what he done with them. See, because I know that I know that that's that's what he done with them, and he kept doing it. And uh, the economy is dragged to his knees now, but she's going to go further than that. Eh? She's going to go to your foot. This is what's going to happen. Well, let's just go back for a second on that. So, look, I uh, I am uh, – no no one would accuse me of being an out-and-out fan of the prime minister, but I will be fair to the man. Um, you know, what I, and I've talked about this before. I, I've, I, I'm in Ottawa. I lived through all this in Ottawa. There were lots of back doors. There were lots of free streets. There were lots of ways to get out of all, all of that, too. So – I challenge you. Uh, I challenge you on that one. That was a problem of significant making, and yeah, some blame certainly rests with Trudeau. He uh, he was using language that was inciting people. Absolutely agree with that. 
But uh, that problem was was more complex than all of that. But what do you think is going to bring us to our toes? What are you going? Is, is it the prices? Is it the anger in the country? What? Where do you yeah, figure uh, the anger in the country? You you were down there, and I'll tell you, you know, a nuclear war is going to break out. See? Well, oh uh, yes, a nuclear war is going to break out. Eh? Well, and there's that, some vulnerability in Europe, absolutely. Oh, I know I'm right. I know that I'm right. Well, I, I hope you're wrong. I hope you're wrong. Anything else you quickly oh, no, want to no, add, Jerry? No, call me wrong, see, because I'm right. Uh, <laughs> well, you got a certitude to make sure that you are, but I hope you're wrong. Anything else you want to quickly add? i got some other callers no, that, there. That's good, that's good enough, Tim, boy. You can, you can, uh, you can uh, go on to your next, uh, next talker now, okay? All right. Th- thank you, Jerry. Have a nice day. Yeah, thank you very much, Tim. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right. That was Jerry. Uh, some desperate things ahead, so Jerry thinks. All right, I'm going to talk to Cavell on line one. Cavell, now, uh, you're upset over a Pride Week dance at a school. Can you tell us yes. about that? Yes, I think it was last Thursday or Friday I saw it on NTV News. Okay. Yeah, the so principal ta- of the Rennie's Mill Academy had her children do a dance exalting Pride Week. Okay, what's wrong with that? Well, I think there's lots wrong with it, like Jerry was saying. I mean, you know, those little children, they're probably only 9 or 10 year old. They don't even know hardly what what homosexuals or lesbians are. Cavell, uh, I, I it re- respect your right to have an opinion, but there's lots of and and and, and uh, there's lots of research as uh, educational research, pedagogical research that speaks about the importance of having broad and diverse education, sexual education, societal education for for young people. Uh, I, I I don't have a problem with a dance like that. I, I, I don't think not having people understand the world in which we... Having people not understand the world in which we live is a, is a bigger problem. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, Pride Week no, is very I'm mainstream. Not. Because okay. in the beginning, he made them male and female. We do not change our sex. Well, Cavell, I respect... Today, today and forever. Go ahead. Well, and I we respect... we're going to prosper, we worry about our gas. We worry about our groceries going up. He will allow a lot of things to come against us for disobedient his laws. He will allow Cavell, it. The Lord up in he heaven be, will allow it. Uh, all right. I, again, I'll respect the fact you have a religious belief here, but there I, are many... I, I, main... I read my Bible. I see uh, well, it coming all the Cavell, time. Well, let me, let, let me speak, is please. coming over on the news every day. Uh, all right. Let's, over let... on the news. Well, uh, that's your perspective. I think it there's a lot... Here. Are you going to let me speak, Cavell? We haven't seen nothing here in Newfoundland if we don't watch out. I mean, look what happened in the United States. Most every state up there brought in same-sex marriage. All right. never had as many uh, tornadoes. Oh, Cavell, all right, enough. Fonz, cut the, the call off. Fonz, cut the call off. Look, okay? I respect everybody's... I re- Thank you, Fonz. Cavell went too far there. I respect everybody's right to have an opinion. I respect the fact uh, that people who are governed by faith have different opinions. But that's just wrong, okay? That's just wrong. Uh, it's not wrong to have a pride 
dance as described by Cavell at Rennie's Mill School or anywhere else. Yes, it may make some people uncomfortable, but sometimes striving for equality is uncomfortable. To equate tornadoes and the state of the United States to sexual or gender equality is ridiculous and will not be tolerated because it's wrong. I'm going to take a break here. Time for a break here on VOCM. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. This is Open Line on VOCM. So, we're getting some calls that people are upset we cut Cavell off, or I cut Cavell off. That's on me. Uh, I'm sorry. But I, I'm not going. Cavell was a lot, was presenting her case. She was speaking well, uh, gave, giving her perspective. But th- then she verged into the territory of disparaging people uh, in a harmful way, from my perspective, and speaking to things that are not true. Um, you just heard David Coletto earlier. We need to deal with truth and facts. There isn't a perfection or an absolute uh, excellence reflected in, uh, in in our religious history. Churches and religions and faiths have done wonderful things for society, but equally they have been culpable too. Mount Cashel, Indian residential school. So my point is, if we're going to discuss these things, let's talk about complete histories. But let's not get into disparaging people because of their um, their sexual orientation their uh, inequality issues that's that's not something i'm open to doing i'm not woke i'm not woke but i'm not going to allow anybody to be disparaged and if you don't like the fact that i um asked the call uh, our producer to end the call with cavell come on the air let's talk about it but let's not run down people uh particularly because of their sexual orientation not gonna happen all right let's go to another caller uh caller uh anonymous caller wants to talk about social services i believe online too go ahead hello hey how are you <laughs> wound up right now how are you <laughs> I, i'm listening to you and uh, you're doing pretty good playing comp <laughs> thank you i'm trying but you're are you having some challenges with social services yes i am well it's uh me and my wife uh, about a year ago, um, she had st- uh, took out the system, and we've been trying to get back on since. And back then was COVID, but recently mm-hmm. um, we heard that we can do uh, we can visit the building. We were they've been sending their documents, fax, mail, you name it, the way we every way they wanted, and even through our um, MHA. To no avail. So okay. this morning we went into their office building. So j- just just to be clear, so the there is you went into a government a government social services building. Today, yeah. Okay, Where go they, ahead. I'm doing on um, um, Regatta Plaza. Okay. Thinking they were doing a human intake, like in-person intake. In-person intake, yep. Yep. Anyway, uh, my wife, who's struggling from three strokes, is having a hard time getting around, but she made the effort 
we made the effort to go there this morning. Only to find out the door is locked, and there's a sign on by the buzzer. Uh, actually, we never got to see a person because we had to use a intercom system. Okay. The note by the door says, we have to call these two certain numbers, which okay. we have been calling all along. And nobody's answering them? No, they won't let us in. Nobody, they got nobody doing intake. Nobody. In person, I mean. That phone, that number is the one that told us to go there. Yeah. The number that they have on the wall was the same number of the person that said we have to go into their office. So, <laughs> that, that's, so that's, you, you've just been in this endless loop of, of not getting anything done for yourselves and exactly. done to address we, your issue. We emailed our documents. We faxed our documents. We mailed our documents. We went through our MHA. We can't get ahead because when we call, when my wife calls into them, mm-hmm. she always gets a different person, never ever the same. And that's a, another problem there because one person, she was transferred three times in one phone call because nobody had her documentation that we have passed in, mailed in, emailed in. So there's no coordination. So have you gotten any direction from anybody as as to what you need to do? Have you gotten any response of any kind? No, we always get up, lead up to uh, send us this document, send us that document. And they never receive it. And they said, well, if when we send it, what I'm thinking is when they went into the pandemic home work mode, every worker, caseworker, had their own number, their own facts. And right. it's disorganized, the way I, I figure it out. So what what does this mean to you in real terms? How is this affecting you guys? Well, my wife is on recovering from three strokes. We have okay. no income. Thanks to friends and family, we, we're not out on the streets. And, like, and neighbors. Like, uh, her health, last, this time last year, she was pretty much walking around again. But since this situation, she missed medication because the system cut off her assistance for medication. And next thing we'll know is she'll end up back in the hospital, which will cost the system more than helping her. Yeah, they're they're doing it. They're not only are they doing a disservice to your wife, they're doing a disservice to themselves by not finding a more effective way to help uh, help solve this problem. Yeah, another issue too is like we don't know what name it goes by. One day it's uh, social service, another yeah. day it's AED, ADD, ABCD. Like we never know. Yeah. Well, I'm. Sorry you're going through that. I, I I know of others who are going through other challenges where they need government interaction to get something processed, and it's well, slow. I'm and I stories. I'm hearing a lot of stories. Of oh, stories. yeah, they're, they're everywhere. But, uh, who is the minister responsible for this organization? Like, that person for, needs to get up off the chair and get out of Tim Hortons and go do their job. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Minister of Social Services in, in uh, I think it's the Department of Children and Social Development. Is that John? A- well, it might be John Abbott. And he's a very he he's a good constituency person. Maybe you ought to connect with his 
uh, with his uh, with his office. Um, I'm going to leave it there. But I, if any, if if John Abbott wants to call or anybody else wants to call about this. We'll see if we can help you yeah, out. Sure all right. We're not the only ones in this. No, I don't think you're the only ones at all. Yeah. Well, Mr. Abbott, uh, if you're listening, um, I can give the producer my name and number. Yeah. Why don't you do that? Alex? Give Fonz, uh, the producer would have it, would have that. Call him back or stay on the line. He'll get it from you. And uh, if we can help you, we will. Okay. Appreciate it very much, Tim. Thank you. All right. Good luck. Thank you. All right, we're going to revisit an issue we talked about earlier. We're going to go back and talk about uh, Dr. A.R., I believe the doctor's name is, and we're going to go to line one and speak with Shelley. Shelley, you want to speak about this uh, this uh, matter on Bell Island, too. Hi, good morning, Tim. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to uh, echo the concerns that Isabella had earlier. Okay. Uh, we have a doctor here on Bell Island for the last seven years, Dr. A.R., um, who is a... Uh, devoted doctor here on Bell Island. He's a devoted friend. He's devoted to the community. I, I don't understand why obstacles have been put in his way to for him not to stay here. I mean, this man, he's willing to live on Bell Island. He loves Bell Island. He loves Newfoundland. Mm-hmm. He's a very productive member of our society because on his downtime, he works with the kids. He plays sports with the kids at the Boys and Girls Club. He loves to tour. He loves tourism. He puts beautiful scenic pictures on his Facebook that are just so uplifting to people, you know, for people who are not able to travel. It's He's, he's like a package all in one, and I don't understand why he would have to leave. It's, I mean, nobody can work 24 hours a day. Nobody no. would be expected to work 24 hours a day, but he's willing to work every weekday. And, and, you know, commit to his community that he adores, and he has to leave again. So, Well, you I make an interesting I... point, too, Shelley. Look, we're coming out of this pandemic, and why are we expecting physicians not to adjust to some of the same labor practices and work practices the rest of us are adjusting to, which is more flexibility, more remote? I mean, I appreciate, yes, you need doctors in emergency rooms. They need to be present. But, you know, we, we have to work with what we have and uh, be conscious of the requirements of the people who are working for and with us, too. So I'm sure there I, – I don't know if there's more to the story. I shouldn't say I'm sure there's more to the story, but, I, you know uh, – uh, Dr. Haggy is welcome to call in uh, David Brazel. Anybody who can shed more light on this, if there's a solution to be found, let's see if we can find it. Yes, I, I would like to hear from our MHA, and I'd like to hear from uh, Minister Haggy, Eastern Health. Uh, you know, there, there's got to be a solution to this. I mean, it makes sense for him to stay here. It's not easy to get a doctor that wants to live on Belle Island, you know, and he's willing to do that. He's lived here. And, well, you know, and, and then you think of the other costs, right? So, uh, and, and that's just to the government, never never mind the cost to the citizenry. So uh, recruiting a new doctor, um, settlement costs for that new doctor, if it's paid for, you know, how long is that going to take? What what impact is that going to have on the broader health care system if more tertiary first, first round care is not done in Belle Island? I, I mean, look, I'm an advocate. The system needs to change, and we all 
all have to do our part in that change, and that means some communities won't have the same services that they do, but sometimes there's also ways to look at this from a straight risk management issue here, and I don't know if that's being done. But again, just getting first blush of this all today. Anything else you want to add, Shelley? Well, I'd like to say that community is quite involved. You know, they would really like for him to stay here. It makes sense. You know, I, I, I just I just don't want to see him leave. I mean, I haven't seen a doctor since the last time he was here. But uh, it's reassuring to know that you have that doctor. Instead of going that going down to that hospital, and every time you go down down there, you may you may have to see a different doctor who doesn't know your situation. In this case, Dr. A.R., he knows her situation. I mean, you don't have to go over that story again. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it just seems more realistic to keep him here. You know, and I think pretty much Bell Island, the whole of Bell Island uh, would agree. I mean, I know that you haven't got many calls on this yet, but I'm sure you will before this week is over when people can get through. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate your time. I just wanted to get that out there that I definitely echo the concerns that Isabella had earlier, and I appreciate the call. All right. Thank you, Shelley. And as as you say, if more people want to call on this, they're always welcome to do. I, one thing I know about Bell Island, when they get seized with an issue, Shelley, they pick up the phone. So we shall you see. Thank right. you for your time. <laughs> Thank you very much. Take care. All right. That was Shelley. We're going to go for a break now. When we come back, some food fishery with Steve uh, here on VOCM Open Life. Join Brian Medor weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels. Newsmakers, weather, and more. Join us on your VOCM at noon. This is Open Line on VOCM. Welcome back to Open Line. Tim Powers in here. Last 23 minutes. It's been a lively show already, and we've got more to go. So give us a call if you want. But right now I'm going to go to Steve on line five, who's been uh, waiting to talk about the food fishery. Steve, how are you? Good morning, Tim. How are you, buddy? I'm good, thank you. What's on your mind specifically about the food fishery? I'm just wondering if uh, you heard anything more about dates that might be announced. I mean, we're getting, uh, getting later in the year here now, and, uh, you know, people want to, to make holidays and plans and such to uh, maybe go get a couple fish and uh, I haven't heard anything new on any dates yet. Just wondering if you had any updates. I, n- not a word. I was, t- uh, in fact, talking to um, some parliamentarians last week about some other challenges in the fishery, but not anything about the uh, the food fishery. Why do you think it's? Um, why do you think we've not heard anything right now? I, I don't know, uh, Tim, boy, to be honest with you. Like, it's, it's normal, uh, you know, normally we would hear by, you know, around last of May or something like that. But uh, this year it seems like, uh, for whatever reason, it's uh, it's put off later. So I, I I don't know what the reasoning is, but, uh, you know, I, I was kind of expecting that when the Federal fin- uh, Fisheries Minister was in Newfoundland there a little while ago and announced the thing on the seals and stuff like that, I said, well, maybe they would announce something with the fishery around that time. But uh, still nothing. So I, I don't know what's going on, Tim, boy. So, just Steve, for the the people who don't know the fishery maybe as well as you do, why is the food fishery important? So important now. Well, uh, first and foremost, for me, I like to I like to go out and get a few so I can have something to eat. Eva, well, particularly with inflation, I guess it's more important, is it? Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, I like to, I like the fact that I can go out and get a couple to eat, and uh, and certainly I enjoy the uh, the time out on the water as well, right? So. 
And how long have you been involved in the food fishery then, yourself? Oh, ever ever since the uh, ever since it opened up after the moratorium. Right? moratorium. Right from right from year one, I've been I've been in the fishery, and uh, and before that, my father was a fisherman. So I oh I, really? I was in the fishery with him, but uh, he retired when the moratorium came in. I went on to different things. So I didn't carry on the family tradition, but uh, I certainly like to get in catch a cod, eh? So. Yeah, I, I get that. I did some uh, jigging last summer, uh, or fishing. I guess we don't call it jigging anymore. When I was uh, no. was home, home, and it was uh, was a lot of fun. All right, well, we'll keep an ear to it. I know Patty will be on top of it for you, Steve. Anything else you want to add? No, that's it, sir. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. You're you're welcome, sir. I couldn't get you a more clear answer. All right, that was uh, Steve on the Food Fish. And if anybody has a better sense of of why, uh, please give us a call. We'll we'll make time for you. Now I'm going to go to. Debbie on line one, and Debbie, I hear you want to talk about material things. What in particular? Well, I guess it's it's not really material things. It's insurance okay. and how it works and our government. Okay, go ahead. Okay, here's my thing. If I have an accident and I have a claim, I have only a certain limit that I can sue for. Correct? Okay. Uh, likely. Yeah, there's a cap. Okay. With all of these people suing the government right now, why is there not a law and a cap on that? Well, you could never limit the amount of people who could sue. Everybody, you can sue for anything you want. So you you might... a cap on the amount. Well, it would depend, uh, again, I'm way out of my area of expertise here, but I could speculate, and I caution it is purely speculation. I mean, uh, damages, impact could all be different or classified differently, so that may... cap on it at regular insurance. Uh, but the magnitude of the damage may be different. That, that's just my speculation. Now, you'd have to speak more specific, and you'd have to talk to a lawyer. I'm getting way out of no, my okay, comfort okay. zone here. All right. I, I guess what I'm getting at is the truth and reconciliation. Okay, the government told the truth, and because they told the truth, now they've got to pay out millions? Like, uh, they, they, okay. they don't... So... They, Okay, um, go ahead, go ahead. Wouldn't we have been better to say, no, it didn't happen? No, because we wouldn't have been. We, people, go ahead. It's we the people who are really paying for all of this. But it's we the people who, our ancestors anyway, who committed the the crimes, the atrocities years, years ago. And where it connects monetarily and economically now is uh, because of the modern laws that have been established, uh, rightly so, and Indigenous and other people have the right to, to challenge actions from the past. And also the economic development, you know, look in, in Labrador, there's lots of histories, history of this, whether it be Voises Bay or other industrial developments, Muskrat Falls, you, you by law and by good corporate practice, have to have indigenous partners to get that work done because they rightly have made the argument and law has seen it to be true that those are their lands and territories. Oh, I agree. I agree. I agree with that. I agree with that. They should have the right to work and and prosper from the land that was once theirs. Okay. 
So, so, but the magnitude of the claim is one you can you can dispute in court. I mean, you could make it about non-indigenous people. Why is the Catholic Church selling off things? Why are St. Bonds, the Basilica, and other pieces of real estate being potentially um, ch- sold or reprofiled? Because in Newfoundland and Labrador, back to Mount Cashel, can't believe I'm talking about that again. But they're paying paying for damages that were perpetrated on in, non-indigenous people, on people and I know. So did, and so did the government. Right. But if, but if I have insurance... I can only sue one person or the other. I can't bow, sue both of them. Well, no, you can. You can. You, your insurance may govern. You you can sue anybody anytime for anything. Okay, yes, whether you, you have insurance or not, but there will be policies and guidelines that will govern what your reward might be and spelled out in your insurance policy. But again, I'm into areas that I'm only speculating on without seeing them. I can't speak specifically to it. Well, the, the reason I'm saying is I got my insurance policy this morning. And I've read it cover to cover, and it says that if I sue and I get paid from somebody else, that I'm not entitled to insurance. Okay. Well, that that's between you and your insurance provider. That's a contract. Sure. You, you don't have to sign that contract. But, of course, why would the government not have something like that in place, that if you sue one group of people, you can't sue this, the, us as well? Uh, well, they may, it's in law, it's sometimes called an indemnity. They may have indemnities against other, other things, but it's hard for the government. I mean, the government is a large body that governs and oversees many things, many peoples, many different things. They, um, I, I know in their con, some of their contracts, they have provisions of, about what's indemnified and, and not, but again, it gets down to the contract, the circumstance, but you can't just say, I'm government and you can't sue me on this. That. No, no, I, I'm, I, I know that, but if, if, okay, Mount Cashel. No, keep going, keep going, keep going, go ahead. Mount Cashel. Yeah. They sued Mount Cashel, the church. They also yes. sued the government. The government paid up. Now they're getting it from, now I'm not saying that the church wouldn't pay. But come on, one, one group of people pay. Well, but then in, again, you'd have to talk to the lawyers there. But you, there was lots of historical evidence to suggest that the there was some level of complicity by the government because they were informed. They were informed, as I remember the history of Mount Cashel. I stand to be corrected, but I grew up during that time. They, 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 the, the, you know, all, it's been chronicled in the Hughes Inquiry and elsewhere that there were government officials who at least heard of reports of abuse that were being perpetrated at the orphanage and chose not to act. So there is a complicity in that for not acting. So then you are on the hook. Anyways, anything else? You, we've gotten into a lot of stuff here, and i got to take a break. Is there anything else you want to add, Debbie? No, I'll just leave it at that. I'm still more confused about double suing and, and yeah, you know, that that I would agree with you. Material Pe- things to people are more important today. Breed, greed, breed, yeah, more greed. I that that I agree with you. That I agree with you. All right, good call. Thank you, Debbie. Have a nice uh, day. Thank you. Take care. Bye. All right, yeah, twice on Mount Cashel today. That's uh, it's been a while. Uh, it's still a very sad story. All right, we're going to go to Ivy, but we're going to take a break first. When we come back, Ivy, who wants to respond to the call from Cavell. <laughs> 
uh, right here on VOCM after the break. Weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. This is Open Line on VOCM. Welcome back to Open Line. As they say, we've got a few calls. Not everybody wants to come on air. Uh, frustrated that I had uh, ended the conversation with Cavell, but uh, Ivy has come on air, and she wants to offer her perspective. Good morning, Ivy. Good day. How are you? I'm good, thank you. What's What's your take on what Cavell was um, saying? My My take on uh, Cavell's conversation is that uh, uh, she needs to be born into the new world. Mm-hmm. And it's not the new world, because I'm just reading here right now that when uh, the Christians were introduced into Rome, into the Roman world, they practiced homosexuality uh, and uh, basically enjoyed it. And, they, of course, they collected taxes for it as well. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think that you make, you make a choice as to what you're going to agree with. My, I have a daughter who's lesbian. She was only 12 years old. She knew she was a lesbian, you know, mm-hmm. uh, she wasn't, uh, it's not something terrible that was that she's doing. This is something that she was born with. And she said to me, Mom, do you think that I wanted to be ostracized by the world? And is, is she and, still ostracized, Ivy? No, she lives in Alberta, and she's accepted by the world. But if she was living here, she'd have to contend with people like Cavell and, and like many people who were old school. Like, I read the same Bible, I think, that Cavell reads. Uh, back in the day, and you know it as well as I do, I mean, men had 10 or a dozen wives. There was nothing wrong with it. You know, they had children everywhere. But uh, Christians somehow, conveniently, decided, well, we don't want that. So we're going to have um, just one wife. There's only going to be one wife. That's the, that's the way it's going to be. Well, the danger with, with, with anything, and it's not just religion, is reading it absolutely and forgetting the entirety, and you've given some examples of, of the history of it all. My, my bigger concern is the, look, people are entitled to their views whether we agree with them or not, but when those views and the public airing of those views uh creates a discomfort is discriminatory that's that's not cool I, uh, not I acceptable i believe that it is a whole lot better for children to learn at a young age to be you know accepting i believe that's where everything starts when parents are saying don't go there because this one is this this one is something else I know, I mean, you know, I'm 70 years old, so obviously, I mean, I grew up in a day when, okay, you couldn't play with Catholics, but we weren't ever brought up that way. Like, my parents were totally open to any, you know, everything. I have to say that, well, the best parents probably, that well, certainly best parents in the world, but anyway, that's another thing. But, uh, you know, we have to uh, realize that, uh, you know, like, you know, uh, back in, you know, Christianity, they used little boys who didn't shave. Now, I mean, this will tell you something. Older men used little boys who didn't shave to have sex with. The little mm-hmm. boys were not supposed to enjoy the penetration. Yeah, let's, uh, let's 
try and keep our. I, I understand you're you're using the right language, but it, it's still it's still a, a morning show. But you're you're right there there and there you're you're there's a ton of history that you're talking about that demonstrates the the wrongs and the the different choices and the 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 hypocrisy that has been uh, uh, has been pre- present not just in religion but other other things as well. Is there anything else you want to add, uh, Ivy? No, just just that. Children are born that way. Children are born homosexual. Uh, you know that that is it. This is just as simple as that. And it's, they're not. They're not. They don't choose that lifestyle. It is something that they are born. They okay. they are born homosexual. Just like we're born heterosexual. It's just there's nothing that we do. You know. And if you believe in God, you believe that uh, everybody is made in His image. Everybody. Well. Yeah, exactly. And the the overriding point about faith, which people of faith often forget, not just people of faith. I don't want to cause a religious war here this morning, but is, uh, but we're supposed to be accepting and forgiving of others, right? And I mean, I don't think there's anything to forgive, but there's no, no. But I mean, generally, though, too, if 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 you if you believe something is wrong, you can forgive it, but you should accept it and understand it first, so that you don't have to forgive, right? I mean, it's a whole cycle. Anyway, you and I go teach a religious course, religion course at Memorial Ivy. All right. All right, I'm on my way. Thank you. Take care. care. Bye. All right, Cecil, you got like two and a half minutes. Let's blow it up on Pearson. Go, man. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. I'm here. Uh, wondering, I'm traveling to uh, Toronto Airport from Toronto to Newfoundland. What should I be prepared for? <laughs> Frustration. Well, first of all, you'll see the big red board that says delayed, 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 delayed. Uh, just be patient. It's They will get you on their way. So what you, you need to be prepared, go to the airport early is good advice to go through or maybe an hour earlier if you're going domestic, an hour earlier than you would. Depends on the day, but the um, the uh, security lineups at Pearson, as I said, they weren't bad yesterday, but that was a Sunday mid-afternoon, can be very hectic. So be ready for that. Uh, be ready for multiple delays, so don't be super frustrated uh, other than normal frustration you would have. I And if you have to be somewhere, you know, uh, quickly from your flight, I'd almost go earlier so that you can be sure. It's going to be like this, I'm told, by people in the airline industry for a while, so we can park and bark and moan about it, but that's the reality, and if you want to cut down on the hassle, do those things. What's causing it? Oh, my God. Depends who you listen to. So there's um, not enough security people up and working. There's a time uh, slow. There's a slowness in processing people because of the different requirements that are still at play. So it takes longer to process a person to get on the plane because you have to show still have to show your COVID vaccination status. If you're coming from somewhere, you still have to uh, internationally. You've got to do an arrive can app. Um, Sometimes there is also there are still crucial shortages, labor shortages among the airlines, ground crew shortages, because a lot of all federal workers still have to have double vaccination to work. That mandate has been lifted. A lot of employees uh, fell off um, at companies' uh, radars because of that. So that's all of, all of that. Uh, anything else? I've got like 10 seconds. I can answer any other question. No, that's it. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay, Cecil. Uh, good luck. As I say, anybody going to Toronto or coming back from Newfoundland to Newfoundland from Toronto, just 
be prepared. Uh, I'm sure it will get fixed, but right now, uh, better to build in more time than have less time. And and thank you for the time this morning. It's been great sitting for Patty, I believe. He will be back tomorrow. Uh, thanks, of course, to Jason for getting me set up this morning and Fonz for running a great show and all of you callers who make this show uh, excellent. I will be back again soon. Uh, until then, I wish you the best in the best place in the country, the most satisfied place in the country. I wish I were home. I will be there soon. That's VOCM's open line for today. I'm Tim Powers.